Hey, snack queens. Welcome back to It's Snack Time. Hey, Annie, how are you doing? Hi, Sophia. Welcome back, snack queens. We are so excited for today's episode because today we have our very first guest, Ninette, at Pencil Yourself In on Instagram. And this is our first guest on the podcast. So we're super excited. And Ninette talks all about things with female nutrition, balancing your hormones, gut health, and so much more. We're so grateful that she's here to answer some questions and spread such valuable information. So hi, Ninette. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank Thank you you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. We're so excited. And let's go ahead and just start with you telling everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, thank you again for having me. So my name's Nanette. I'm a clinical nutritionist, um, and I help women with their hormones, their metabolism, digestion, um, eating behavior, all with an anti-diet approach. I work one-on-one with clients. I also have a course that I sell online. It's focused all on nourishment and finding food freedom. Um, really everything I do with my clients, I teach in the course. And I personally am somebody who is obsessed with nutrition. I was super into wellness and health and fitness. And that's kind of how I got started in this field. It was actually a career change for me. Um, So yeah, I'm excited to be here. I do want to start off and talk about Hashimoto's and thyroid. You were recently diagnosed with Hashimoto's. I want you to break down the thyroid because it's so important for our health. And I feel like a lot of people just aren't aware about all of its functions within our body. So if you can break it down as if you're explaining this to someone who's like 10. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I actually got diagnosed with Hashimoto's. It's been eight years now, so it's been a minute. Um, and it's something that is extremely under, I would say rated in, in women's health. Um, there's so many people walking around with underfunctioning thyroids and it just doesn't get diagnosed. So, um, what is the thyroid back to your question? The thyroid is it's an organ, it's a gland and it governs every function in our body. It supports our metabolism. It supports hair growth, supports digestion, um, mental health, mood, like literally everything. Um, and that's because thyroid hormones are actually, um, they impact every single cell in the body, which is insane. Um, so when you have an underfunctioning thyroid, everything in the body is just really slowed down. Um, hair growth slows down, hair can fall out, digestion slows down. So a lot of people with, um, hypothyroidism, which basically means having a low thyroid function, um, can't go to the bathroom, can't poop. Um, and I say the word poop and I know sometimes it's uncomfortable for people, but it's literally what I say and talk about all day, every day. (laughs) So can't poop. You're constipated. Um, you're always tired. You can't get out of bed. Um, you know, you have a lot of, um, you know, low mood, low energy, all of these things. So when everything in the body seems like it's kind of slowed down, that's when you need to pay attention to the thyroid. Um, and why it's so important. I mean, we kind of just talked about it, right. It impacts every function in the body. So when you don't have enough thyroid hormones circulating in the body, everything is slowed down. Um, unfortunately it's one of those things that when you go to your doctor's office, because the symptoms are so all over the place, it doesn't get diagnosed as, often as, um, in, in my opinion, we have people walking around with underfunctioning thyroids. Um, doctors only look at a couple of different markers typically in conventional medicine. Um, but now we know so much more that, um, you know, there's a, a bunch of different markers that we have to look for when we're looking at and assessing thyroid health. Um, and that's why it goes often 
undiagnosed. Um, and that's why sometimes, you know, patients feel like they walk into their doctor's office and I have all these symptoms. I feel like I have low thyroid, but it doesn't get diagnosed. Um, so that's kind of where the, the gap is. Does that help answer? Totally. And I had the same exact experience. I recently got diagnosed with Hashimoto's and I had to persist with my doctor to run blood work. What are some markers that we can tell our doctor to insist on running? Like, are there certain panels that we can run? Because I feel like a lot of women just don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Just really quickly to kind of differentiate between the two. So hypothyroidism is a diagnosis that's given when your thyroid is under functioning. Hashimoto's is a different diagnosis. And that indicates that the hypothyroidism that we're experiencing is coming from an autoimmune disorder. So most often hypothyroidism is because of Hashimoto's it's due to an autoimmune um, issue. And, um, unfortunately those two tests that I said, doctors typically test don't test for Hashimoto's because in conventional medicine treatment is the same, right? You just supplement with thyroid hormones. So sadly, it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter why you have it in, in conventional doctor's eyes. It's like, well, the treatment's the same. So what does it matter if it's autoimmune or not? But what we know with nutrition is that when it is autoimmune, there's a lot of other things that we need to pay attention to, um, when it is autoimmune in nature. So back to your question, just to kind of make that distinction, what are some tests that, um, we have to ask for? So T4 and TSH are the two that doctors typically ask, uh, doctors typically run, um, but what we also want to look at is we want to look at if it is autoimmune in nature. So we want to test the antibodies that come with hypothyroidism. Um, if they're there, then that means that there is an autoimmune issue that we need to pay attention to, but we also want to pay attention to free T3. T3 is the active thyroid hormone, and that indicates how much of that thyroid hormone is actually circulating in the blood. Um, oftentimes T4 can come back completely normal and within normal range, but T3 is the one that comes up, can come back, you know, super, super low. And that's because a lot of people have trouble converting from T4 to T3, um, not to get too complicated, but that's where really lifestyle, nutrition, um, liver health, nutrient status, all of those things come into play. Does that make sense? Yes. And if you did have a female client who was just diagnosed with Hashimoto's, what would you recommend they do first? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I did the whole thing. Well for, okay. Two parts. <laughs> I did the whole thing where I, I went down, you know, Reddit rabbit holes. I found blogs that were recommending certain diets, like super, super restrictive diets, um, avoid, you know, dairy corn, avoid every single food on this planet, never touch sugar. Um, and that can go down a path that we don't want to go down. Um, because truly my honest, honest advice is when you have Hashimoto's, the biggest piece is stress management. And I know that's like not what we want to hear because it's always stress and it's like the most boring answer, but it's so accurate stress. We need to learn how to regulate stress. Anytime there's an autoimmune issue, we have to look at stress because stress impacts gut health. Gut health is directly tied to our immune system. So when there's a gut imbalance due to stress, we get things like leaky gut, we get things that, you know, can then lead to autoimmunity. So stress is that overarching theme that we need to look at. I would say stress management, but then also 
um, looking at gluten intake. Gluten is one of those um, foods that's very, very highly correlated with autoimmunity, especially with Hashimoto's. Um, it can kind of trick the body into thinking that there's, you know, with Hashimoto's, your body is technically like attacking your thyroid and gluten can kind of be um, concealed as thyroid tissue. They're very similar in structure. And so it, it'll kind of upregulate up your immune system. And, and that's what we don't want. So I would say avoid gluten and manage stress. On your platform, you speak a lot about working out with hormones. There's a huge popularity with HIIT workouts or just super intense cardio workouts. What do you recommend for someone that is currently in the process of healing their hormones? Are these workouts like sustainable for our bodies or do you recommend maybe slowing down and doing something low impact? Yeah. Um, I, the two forms of workout that I recommend for women in general, regardless of hormone, you know, attempting hormone balance or not are walking like low impact cardio, if you even want to call it that. Um, but also, uh, resistance training and weight training, um, not necessarily hit and not necessarily long-term cardio, those kinds of workouts. You know, if you think about what happens to the body, when you're running and training for a marathon or a half marathon, which by the way, I've done all of that stuff, right? Like I've personally experienced how it can tank your adrenals. Um, those can really, really negatively impact the adrenals. They really, if you really want to simplify it, they add more stress to the body than, than support. And what did we just talk about? Right. We just said, we want to look at stress levels when balancing hormones, um, even outside of thyroid hormones, right? Like estrogen. Um, some people have high estrogen. Some people have low progesterone. Some people have androgens and high testosterone. Those are kind of our female sex hormones. Those are really what I work with clients on when those are off balance. That means there's a deeper issue to look at. Um, and most 99.9% of the time we have to look at stress. And so when you think about exercises like HIIT and cardio and these like long distance endurance training, or, or even training, even if you're doing weight training, but you're doing it for like an hour and a half every day, that's too long for women, for most women. Um, so we have to look at balancing that and having it be more, more of an indication of safety for our bodies. I think we talked about this on the panel too. Um, as women, our, our priority is safety or we want to feel safe in our bodies. And I think, you know, working out like men and training like men that sends a signal to our body that something is wrong, right? Like it turns your, your cortisol on your adrenal, your, um, uh, adrenals kind of go off the charts. Like it really, really, really messes with your adrenal balance. And anytime there's a hormone imbalance, we have to look at the adrenals. Um, so to answer your question, I would say if you're working on balancing your hormones, stay away from high intensity workouts and running and cardio and really, really intense workouts like that. Focus on walking, focus on supporting the nervous system. Walking has so many benefits. It's not even just for you know, working out, right. It's, it's, it's great movement, but it also, especially if you go outside, if you, if your weather permits, like you get benefits from being outdoors, um, supporting your circadian rhythm, getting benefits from the sun, um, supporting your nervous system, relaxing you, getting you outside. We're all stuck indoors, tied to our computers. It has so many other benefits that our bodies can, um, can take from it that plus, you know, if you're, if you can, if your adrenals are at that point, weightlifting three, four times a week, nothing crazy, 45 minute sessions, like build muscle that helps your metabolism, um, and your hormones in turn. And, and yeah, I would recommend those two personally. 
That's awesome. So yeah, we want to transition a little bit just, you know, from the balancing hormones, um, with exercising and then kind of go into a little bit with birth control. I know it can look different for some people who are on hormonal birth control versus not on it. So we wanted to kind of dive into hormone balancing tips for someone that recently went off of hormonal birth control, because I know that that's one of the first things that doctors jump to. I know like I've been on it for five years and I'm literally 22. So, um, like someone that is wanting to go off of it for steps and, you know, it can all feel really overwhelming. So any tips around that? Yeah, I would say looking at nutrient levels is one thing. Um, so the pill depletes your body of certain nutrients, a lot of them. And so that's where we want to look at, repleting, um, nutrient levels, like B vitamins are a big one. Zinc is a big one. Selenium is a big one. Uh, magnesium is a big one. Um, looking at all of these things, right? Like all of these specific nutrients, vitamin a, um, active vitamin a, so retinol, not beta carotene. Um, there's a distinction there. These are things that we want to look at because it does deplete the body of these very, very important nutrients. Um, so looking at getting nutrients, these nutrients from whole food sources, really looking at eating things like great quality meat. I think there's a a big push for going plant-based and going vegan and all of this stuff. And while that may be right for some people, you're going to get the most bang for your buck by eating good quality meat and getting and repleting these nutrients from that egg yolks are a really good one as well. Um, repleting minerals and, um, the selenium and the, the vitamin a, the copper, um, protein as well, good fat as well from egg yolks. Um, looking at eating organ meats. I know that's like, you know, sometimes very weird and scary to think about, right? Like beef liver, that's like one of the best things you can be eating best, best things, whether or not you're on birth control, whether you're getting off birth control, whether you've never been on birth control, that is one of the best things that we can be eating. It's very nutrient dense. I talk about that a lot with my clients and in my course, it's like, we want to, like I said, get the most bank for our buck, right? Like when you put, I always give this analogy, when you put an address into Google maps, you want to get there like the quickest way possible, right? Like you want the fastest way possible. You don't want traffic. You want to go the shortest distance possible. You never want to go like the back route. You never want to go like the long way or the most trafficy way, right? That's what we want to look at. And if I had to sum up what to prioritize, that's what you want to look at when figuring out how can I eat for my body when getting off birth control, you want to be eating foods that are most nutrient dense. They have the most bioavailability of these nutrients, meaning they can easily be absorbed and uh, broken down in the body. They don't have to utilize other nutrients to do that. Um, iron is another big one. Um, those are kind of if we're thinking about nutrients, those are things to prioritize getting off of birth control. Also, you want to make sure you're looking at supporting stress in your body. Your body's going through a bunch of hormonal changes, right? Like it's going from looking a certain way and and operating a certain way with synthetic hormones. And now it doesn't have those hormones. So it's kind of going to be like a shock to your system. So you want to make sure you're also supporting your body with stress again. (laughs) Um, and that those are the two big things that I would prioritize. Yeah. That's awesome. I never, I feel like I never thought about like how important the aspect of food and getting your nutrients through food is, especially when you're going through changes like that. And I know it's really popular and almost like 
so convenient these days to like switch between birth controls and go off of it and go back on it. And so I'm sure a lot of people are like, how the heck do I deal with this? That was actually super, super helpful. Uh, Yeah. The other thing too, is just to, just to add is uh, looking at gut health too, because you know, birth control can throw off the balance in your gut. Um, so making sure if you are experiencing digestive issues, making sure, you know, if you're either running to the toilet every day or you're not going at all, or you're experiencing like really, really heavy bloating, um, all of these things, pay attention to the gut health as well. Yeah. Awesome. I also wanted to touch on, I saw something on your Instagram a couple of days ago when someone asked you tips for losing weight when you're dealing with hormones and you mentioned something that I thought was particularly interesting that I wanted to chat about is gaining weight, gaining fat versus water retention. Um, specifically, like for example, within I have um, hypothyroidism now and I've gained weight, quote unquote, um, when in reality, that's actually just water retention. But how do we know what's what? Because I think if we're puffy, we, we automatically think weight gain when that may not be the case. So how do we differentiate that? Yeah. Um, I I get asked that question all the time about how do I lose weight? And that's, you know, what I posted was really to get us to think about weight differently because, you know, is it, is it fat? Is it body fat? Or is it like you said, water weight, but it could also just be pure inflammation, right? If you have hypothyroidism, if you have hormone imbalances, if you have blood sugar issues, if you have any type of like diagnosed disease, you have inflammation in the body. So rather than chasing the weight, as we know it, right? Like, okay, it's body fat. I need to lose body fat. I need to go burn calories and and all these things that we think we need to do, which can possibly make the most probably, I should say, make the issue worse. Why don't we start thinking about how can I heal these imbalances? How can I bring down inflammation? What do I need to look at? How can I balance these hormones? How can I support my blood sugar instead of how can I run and lose weight? How do we know the difference? It's, 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 it's not that easy, right? Um, chances are, if you are somebody who is eating a well-balanced diet, if you feel like you're doing enough movement, if you feel like you're trying to work on your sleep and trying to work on your stress levels, and you feel like you're doing like everything you quote unquote should be doing, um, and you're not you know, pulling through a drive through 18 times a week, chances are it's not body fat. I think we have it like really backwards where we think, oh, I'm puffy. It's fat. I need to do cardio and decrease my calories. It's just not that simple. I, in, in my honest opinion, calories in calories out does not matter if you're dealing with a chronic disease, if you're dealing with hypothyroidism, your metabolism, everything we just talked about, like everything is slowed down. So your body is not looking at a calorie like it did maybe 10 years ago. So is the solution to cut calories or is it to help optimize your health and hormones and have things kind of balance out? You know, to me, it's a clear answer, but it's, we just have to start thinking about it differently. How do you, how do you explain hormones and gut health being interlinked because there could be times when your hormones are off when in reality that could be a trigger from your gut health and like vice versa can you touch a little bit more about that yeah um everything in the body is connected so the you know your hormones are connected to your gut of course but everything else is connected to everything else too right so like if you think about it's so hard to I, like, I wish I had like a whiteboard and I could like draw it out but like your gut health is linked to your liver health 
Well, your liver, liver health is linked to your blood sugar, which is also linked to your hormones, right? Um, I'll just give an example. So there's a lot of people experiencing estrogen dominance nowadays. Um, it's a term that's thrown around a lot and for good reason. I think it's very, very popular, very common, um, especially when we're dealing with people getting off birth control, that's something, um, to pay attention to as well. And so symptoms of estrogen dominance are a lot of water retention, a lot of, you know, fatigue, a lot of, um, PMS issues, a lot of, you know, all the things we've talked about, um, and heavy periods and things like that. And so one of the best ways to support estrogen dominance is to make sure you're pooping every day because estrogen, you poop it out every day. And if you don't poop it out every day, it recirculates into the body. And so then that kind of, if you want to think about it, adds more estrogen quote unquote to the body. Right. So, um, that's one way you can think of, well, if I'm not pooping every day, which is gut health related, my hormones are not being balanced estrogen dominance. Right. Um, so with estrogen dominance, you want to make sure you're, you're going every day. Okay. In order to go every day, how can I support my gut health? Then I need to look at, am I, you know, chewing my food? Well, am I producing enough digestive enzymes and digestive um, juices and acid and stomach acid and bile and all of these things. So I don't want to make it more complicated, but literally every function in the body is connected. Um, and that's really what I teach in my course you know, how can I support my liver health? How can I support my adrenal health? How can I support my blood sugar? Cause all these things impact your hormones. Hormone health is not like, okay, let's balance our hormones. Let's eat these three foods and call it a day. It's really balancing the entire body. Yeah. Um, so going back a little bit, kind of tying this in with exercise, like we were talking about before, I know a lot of people focus on, they're like, I, now I'm doing these workouts and I'm eating perfectly well and all of that. But when they become more stressed about it and their stress again, but becoming obsessed with it. Um, how does stressing about food impact your, um, like food and exercise impact your body and become counterproductive? I know that's something we kind of touched on a little bit in the no filter event. Yeah, it definitely goes. Uh, it's they're hundred percent really. I personally, I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit about my personal story just because I think it can resonate when I got diagnosed with my Hashimoto's, um, and finally started to think like, okay, well I can, I can, use food and exercise, right? Like those are the two things we think of when we think of health, I can improve my health. And so then I kind of took it, I swung the other way and I took it to the other extreme where I was like, okay, well, I need to be really meticulous with what I eat. I can literally never touch dairy ever again. And corn is poison and all of these things that you read about online. Um, and then I have to go to the gym because I want to lose weight. And at the time, right, this is eight years ago at the time I wasn't aware that, you know, it's inflammation, it's not body fat. So I was like, let me go to the gym, let me burn calories. So then I started logically thinking, well, if I go to the gym more then it's going to be more productive. Right. Mm -hmm. So then I would go twice a day and then I would go like seven days a week. Um, and so that ends up, there's a balance with everything in the body. Right. Um, I talk about a pendulum analogy all the time, and I may have even mentioned it on the podcast, but you can't go from like, think about like a pendulum, right? Like it's hanging like this. You can't go from here all the way here and expect it to be stable and um, consistent here, right? Somewhere in the middle is really where we want to land, right? Like a swinging pendulum doesn't stay here. It comes back somewhere in the middle. So we have to find that balance because it really can be count counterproductive. If you're exercising more, well, guess what? You need to be feeding your body more. 
but nobody does that. Right. Everyone's like, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to burn more calories, but guess what? Your body needs more fuel. Your body needs the calories. Your body needs more protein. Your body needs more nutrients and minerals and things like that. Um, but we don't think about it like that. We kind of stop and we're like, well, I'm exercising more. I should be losing weight. Um, so that's the piece with exercise, but even with food, I think there's a lot of people walking around thinking, you know, they're being healthy, but in reality, they're overdoing it orthorexia is a real thing. Like it's a very, very real thing. Um, and most people, depending on where you live, where I live in LA, it's like behaviors that are (laughs) unfortunately orthorexic are really praised, right? Like you're eating so clean, quote unquote, you're working out six days a week. Wow. Good for you. But there's deeper layers to that. Right. Um, so we always want to strive for balance and to answer your question. Yes, it could absolutely be counterproductive and you want to stay away from that. So if you feel like you're kind of going, uh, if you have that gut feeling that you might be doing too much, or you might be worried about it too much, if you have that feeling that it is causing stress and adding to, to the issue, it probably is. So I would, I would dig deeper there. Yeah, absolutely. And we're from San Francisco. So I feel like even, especially in high school, like it's definitely very prevalent and I went to an all girls high school. And so I feel like it was just talked about all the time. It's like the looks and orthorexia was definitely very present, but I didn't even hear about it until college, which is just crazy that it's like so close, but yeah. I I didn't hear about it until I started my master's degree and I didn't, and I didn't even know that most nutrition professionals enter the field of nutrition, very orthorexic and I myself included. I was like, yeah, I just want to help people eat healthier and eat perfectly all day. Like, why can't everybody just eat a salad and chicken every day? Like, why, why, why can't everyone do that? But that's very disordered and very, very orthorexic. Yeah. So that's the other thing you want to, you know, when, when there's so much nutrition information out there, everyone's posting their theories and thoughts. You also, as a consumer, want to be careful of that. Nothing that's super perfect is ever sustainable, nor is it healthy in my opinion, because you can do things that are deemed healthy. Um, but it can get very unhealthy. So you want to be cautious of that too. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess putting physical looks aside, um, what are three foundations that women should be incorporating in their day-to-day life, whether that's like food or lifestyle? I know we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but if you just have three, like, I guess like quick facts, like three things to look at outside of how much you weigh or how you look. Yeah, totally. Um, I would say, do you have energy or are you always tired? I think that's a big one. Um, because everything comes down to energy, cellular energy, or, you you know, do you, are you feeding and nourishing yourselves? Um, which that then comes down to blood sugar and eating, you know, all the things, (laughs) everything has layers. (laughs) So I would say, do you have energy? Look at that. Um, are you pooping normally every day, solid poops? No one's diarrhea is not healthy, right? Like we want solid, good quality (laughs) poops every day, at least once a day. Um, that's very big, right? Like are, are you that, that feeds into your metabolism, your metabolism literally translates to you eating the food, your body processing it, and then you pooping it out. So that, that feeds into, okay, am I metabolizing properly? Um, and then I would say stress. I mean, like we talked about it, but it's so important. Um, stress, like lifestyle stress, it could be, are you sleeping enough? Are you not sleeping enough? Um, you know, those things all contribute to stress, but food can also take away stress or add stress. We talked about a little bit of the bioavailability of nutrients. 
are you taking the short route or the Google Maps long back route, right? That can also add stress. If you have hormone imbalances, if you have adrenal imbalances and you're working on healing these things, you want to take away as much stress as possible. And oftentimes we don't utilize the ability we have to, to do that with food. Um, so blood sugar balance, getting in the bioavailability of nutrients, um, all the things that we talked about as well. What is the biggest red flag that you see amongst your clients? Um, not eating enough. Like I work with my, my specific niche is, is typically women who've always been on a diet who kind of have that type of mentality towards food, right? Like good, bad, good or bad foods, or I shouldn't be eating this or portion control hashtag, like, right. Like all these things that we've been there. There's so many things that we've been fed our generation that it, it comes out and manifests as hormone imbalances and in, in the clients that I deal with. Um, so not eating enough, I think other nutritionists and other practitioners who, who deal with a different kind of niche and a different kind of client probably don't have that issue, right? Like they're advising on different things like eat less and cut processed carbs and things like that. But specifically with me, it's, Hey, are you eating enough? It's very eye opening when I have clients track their protein intake and see how little protein they're eating throughout the day. Um, and protein is so important for blood sugar and hormones and everything we've talked about, um, and eating enough calories in general, are you eating enough or are you too busy? Are you working through your lunch and skipping breakfast because hashtag fasting, like we're just like not eating enough. Like I find that the people who are really into health and nutrition can get really obsessed with this stuff and follow things that they don't necessarily need to follow. Um, so that's a very, very common, big red flag. Does that help? Yes. So what, so let's get specific, say a client walks in and she's eating 300 calories a day. What are your steps? Do you immediately push them to eat 2000 calories? What's like, what's your go-to method for increasing calorie intake? Yeah. Scaring them off. Yeah. 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 Well, 300 is extremely low. If somebody walks in eating 300, that's like, sorry, 1300. Oh, 1300. I was like, Oh, there's a lot that we have to do before we get to 2000. Let's say 1300. 1300 is probably fairly common. Um, I would then break down, like, what are you eating? Like I would look specifically at what specific foods they're eating, what nutrients they may be lacking. Why are they avoiding certain foods? Why are they not eating? Right. That's a big thing. I think sometimes people don't eat because they want to save calories and, you know, go that route. But sometimes people are, especially the clients that I work with, they're just too busy to eat quote unquote, all of that's in quotes. Cause no one should be too busy to eat. But sometimes people are just really, truly like working through lunch and handling like three different jobs and, you know, doing a million things that they forget to eat. Um, so why, how, why is this not a priority in, in their lives? Right. Like really going slow and breaking that apart because I can't sit across from somebody and say, okay, add in two more snacks and call it a day. We have to look at, well, why is that not happening right now in the first place and taking realistic inventory of their lives. And I think that's why it's helpful to work with somebody because sometimes we don't want to face that. Sometimes we don't want to look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm not doing this. And, and it helps to have somebody really call that out for you. Um, 
But yeah, I, I wouldn't say go from 1300 to 2000 immediately because not everybody necessarily needs 2000, especially if they're not working out, especially if they have been struggling with a sluggish metabolism, then kind of going that route might be a little bit too aggressive. They might put on more weight. Um, so really slowly doing that. Let's add in a, let's add in another snack or, Hey, you're only having 40 grams of protein a day. Okay. Well, instead of adding in another meal, let's just increase the protein and see what happens for two weeks. So really looking at what might be missing and replacing that. And I think that's very different from person to person. Yeah. And that's definitely really helpful to have someone with so much knowledge. I mean, obviously to help guide you through it, but I think there's a lot of people that have the ability and like the self-discipline and the self-awareness to incorporate those things, but they just genuinely don't know like what they should be doing. Um, and even for myself, like learning about macronutrients, like honestly, it's in the past, like two years, I focused more on it. So, um, not until I was like 20 years old. So that kind of leads into our next question, which is about the benefits and different reasons for eating macronutrients, like your carbs, your protein and your fat to balance your hormones. Um, especially because a lot of people do struggle, like getting all of their protein and just macronutrients in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, all of those macros are to simplify it, just very supportive of blood sugar. If you just eat carbs, let's say you start your day off with like a fruit smoothie, no protein, or even just like plain oatmeal, your blood sugar is going to spike up. What happens when it spikes up, you have a consequent equal fall, then it falls, then you're starving, then you're hangry, then, then you're shaky. And then you're like, just give me anything that's in sight. Right. Well, if you just add some protein to that, a good amount, let's say 15, 20, 25 grams. Um, if you're starting off early, just aim for 15. Don't try to go for 25. But if you just add, let's say 15 grams of protein, instead of this huge spike, you'll just be like right here. And then the, your fall is going to be, you know, not that big. And then you're gonna be like, okay, cool. Let me make a more rational, good decision with my food, right? You're using a different part of your brain when you're not operating from hunger and starvation. And then you go here again, and then your waves are just like less dramatic. Right. Um, so why each macronutrient matters. If we were to simplify it and bring it down to blood sugar balance, that's a big piece of hormone balance that I think is very much not talked about enough. Um, blood sugar balance supports your metabolism supports, which then supports your hormones. It also impacts your adrenals, right? Like these big drastic ups and downs are not supportive of anyone's adrenals. That's stress. That's inflammation, all the things that we want to avoid. So, um, protein is important in that way. Carbs are important because our, our cells feed off of carbs. That's their preferred energy source. Yes. They can feed off of fat and all this keto craze and keto hype, but it's not what they prefer. It's the long route. <laughs> Our cells prefer good quality carbs. They, they, they prefer glucose. It's just the reality. Um, and then to balance that and so that you're not just like having sugar and having these ups and downs, like we said, the protein fat also helps support blood sugar. Um, but fat is also a building block for our cells, for our hormones. Um, and so every, every macronutrient plays a role. So we have to think about before we like start eliminating entire macronutrient groups, what are we foregoing by doing that? So balance is always important there. So, you know, balanced meals have all three macros, like nothing to count, nothing to calculate, nothing too crazy. Just be mindful of including all of those groups um, and start there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of touched on hanger and like being hangry. And I know that you talk about it on your page a lot, but um, any like tips on how to avoid it and what it's usually caused by? I know you mentioned like blood sugar balancing and all of that, but any extra tips with that? Yeah. I always say like, if you're, if you're at a point where you're hangry, then yeah, it's probably blood sugar related. But if you have, you know, um, if you struggle with like cravings and you struggle with like, okay, I I'm just, I I need to eat. Like I I can't, I, I, I can't function right now. I need to eat, which I guess is kind of hanger, I guess. Um, it could also just be due to like not eating enough. If you're not eating enough, your body's communicating with you in a lot of ways. I think the biggest thing is that we have been taught and praised with diet culture to ignore these signs and symptoms. Right. Um, so we don't know how to listen until it gets to that point of hanger. A lot of people are like with my clients, I, I ask them like, how do you know if you're hungry? And they say, well, my stomach's growling. Okay. That's good. That's at least we know how to listen to that. But I would argue that's a little bit too late to start thinking about food. It's a little bit earlier on where we have to pay attention to, okay, well, is my body giving me any signs, any symptoms that I am hungry? Maybe I should honor that before letting it get too far before I'm at that point. Um, the hunger and fullness scale is, is not something that I developed at all, but it's a good one. If, if anybody wants to just Google that and look at it and see where you fall on that scale more often than not. Because chances are, if you struggle with hangriness and struggle with having the cravings and just kind of like running and not knowing what to eat, you're probably waiting too long before eating, um, which also then impacts blood sugar and all of those things. The other thing too is protein. A lot of people not getting enough protein struggle with that because protein helps with hunger, helps curb that hunger. If you want to think of it like that, right. Even though I hate saying that, but helps support satiety. So you feel fuller and you can go longer periods without eating and not feeling like, oh my gosh, I need to like scarf something down. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. We've talked a lot about different topics on this podcast. You're a wealth of knowledge. If our audience could leave with just one takeaway, what would it be? In general or like hormone related? Anything. Anything. Um, Yeah. Okay. So I hope this doesn't sound cheesy or corny, but really start honoring your body and nourishing your body. Like if you can, if, if you can make every decision based on, based on that piece, like based on nourishment, whether that's food, which is very obvious, right. Or even movement or even hanging out with certain people, like, is this nourishing for me or is it not? That should be your governing principle because nourishment, even with food, right? Like nourishment. Yes. We want to get nourished. We want to get nourishment with vitamins and minerals and, you know, healthy foods and all these things, but we also want to nourish with like having fun and like eating fries when you go out because you want fries and you just want to live a normal life. So really looking at approaching everything from a nourishment perspective. And that's the big piece that I teach in my course and with all my clients too. I hope that wasn't cheesy, but it's like (laughs) very, very important, especially with women who grew up dieting and restricting and, you know, having that a very different mindset with our bodies and our relationship to food. I think that's a very big eye opener for a lot of people. No, I, th- I think that message is so perfect. And I'm so glad that that was our last like major takeaway. I have been personally following you for a really long time now. I am 
obsessed with your content on Instagram. I have been using it as such a resource. I drink your adrenal cocktail. You are just like a wealth of knowledge. Can you please tell everyone where they can find you? If you do have a course, how can they access it? Just all of your information. Yeah. First of all, thank you. I'm honored. That's I'm so glad that you've been like putting pieces together and doing things on your own. That's amazing. Um, so my Instagram is at pencil yourself in, um, and my course information is all up on there. I have, uh, my special launch promo still going on. So you get, um, $200 off the course. Um, but I also have some free resources if you are not ready to jump into the course. So I have a free, uh, metabolism and hormone training that I have. It's a video training. It's about 30, 35 minutes long. And then, um, I also have a free checklist that gives you, um, kind of a really eye-opening look as to where you stand with your hormones and metabolism, but then also gives you six steps to implement starting today. And those are all on my Instagram. Thank you so much, Ninette. This has been such an honor to chat. I know we didn't even get through all of our questions, so there might be a part two. Um, But thank you guys so much for listening. And Ninette, thank you again, you guys. Please go follow her and support her. She's like the biggest follow of 2022 ever, like in like on my Instagram feed. Oh my gosh, that's honored. Thank you so glad that I found you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me, and this was really fun. Um, Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks.